Welcome to Jason the Movie Knots. I'm Jason Sachs. And I'm Chris Wanderlich. And we are talking about the films of Charlie Kaufman with an emphasis on, I think I'm I'm thinking of ending things and uh, confessions of a dangerous mind. See what happens when I don't have my notes in front of me. <laughs> I got to admit, I was baffled by, I think I'm thinking of ending things. It's been a long time since I saw a movie where I was so completely lost watching it. I'm yeah. including the movies we've been chatting about. Yeah, yeah. We we discussed Eraserhead, and uh, and this one was a bit more of a mind twister, perhaps. Yes. And while I deeply respect the artist's vision and what Coffin <laughs> was uh, trying to attempt here, um, compared to something even like Schenectady, New York, I found this to be far more confusing and and uh alienating uh i'm glad you said that because that's exactly how i found it the first time i watched it too uh yeah it's it's like an amazing almost like psychological horror um it's every single aspect of it screams out that it's a masterpiece you know like the acting the writing the atmosphere the directing there's so many choices in it. Every, and then at the same time, you don't know what to make of what you're seeing in front of you. And you, you wonder if it's, a, a, you know, the correct experience. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely an intentionality to it. Definitely the work of someone who's really thought through what he wants to present. Uh, I kept thinking, though, uh, like, get to the point, essentially. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I get the point, for example, and this is going to be spoilers here. So if you haven't watched, I'm thinking of any things. I'll watch it first. It is more, definitely worth a watch. Oh, yeah. Um, so I was thinking like in the farmhouse when when they go to visit his family, uh, just how like cringy that whole sequence is intentionally. <laughs> before yeah. I get to the more surreal elements, which I actually found myself much more comfortable with. The whole cringy elements of uh, the couple and meaning her his parents and how strange they are and uh, i just felt so awkward in, in the situation in that situation oh yeah it's, which it's i'm sure is also part of the point chris right oh so uncomfortable so uncomfortable um but yeah i gotta say yeah when i when i was like you and watching it the first time right you don't know what to make of what you're seeing on screen and then you get to the end of the movie and you think okay Perhaps he's shown his hand. Perhaps perhaps you can go back and explain it all. And then the more you think about it, the more you think there's no explaining. Every aspect of this movie, it's just a little, you know, there's just so many weird things in this movie. Uh, but I got to say, it took me until the middle of my second viewing. And then something clicked. And then I just sat back and, and oh, oh, boy. Oh boy, what a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what clicked for you, Chris? I, I gotta say, I saw this movie when it came out. So it's been like, what, a year, I think, this came out last year? Yeah, it's, 20, like it's a 2020 film, yeah. Okay, so I saw it, yeah, about a year ago. And uh, and I, it, boy, you know, this movie sticks in your mind. It rolls around in you, right? It's something you can't figure out until your mind figures out. And uh, it's one of those things that my brain just never figured it out. You know, I did a little, mm -hmm. a little internet sleuthing, a little ooh, explained, da da da, and nobody really gave me the answers I was looking for. 
nobody really like made it click for me. So I just thought this is a movie that perhaps Charlie Kaufman went off the rails a little too far, right? I thought maybe this is creative freedom um, that is maybe in a failed experiment. Oh, but then, but then again, halfway through the second viewing, I realized. Uh, and I guess we should go over the plot a little bit because it'll make more sense here. Um, yeah, it's a couple, right? I'll, I'll say again, there are there will be spoilers throughout this episode. If you oh, haven't cute. watched it, go back and watch this film. Yeah, huge spoilers. So it's a couple, right? And um, it's narrated by the girl who at first we think her name is Lucy, right? Mm-hmm. And Jake is the man and they're driving to his parents' farm in we assume Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uncomfortable and it's snowing. And they're both like really, um, I don't want to say smart, but intellectual to maybe the point of being pretentious. You know, they talk about poetry and they talk about her uh, her college or university papers that she's doing and it's it's a very uncomfortable sort of car ride for these people. They arrive at the family farm, and it's even more uncomfortable. Uh, the parents, who I just oh man, like performances. I, I won't get into it now, but the parents blew me away. Right? Um, the parents are strange and awkward, and everything seems kind of normal. And of course, the movie's called "I'm Thinking of Ending Things." And we open with a little monologue from Lucy talking about how she's thinking of ending things. And every indication that we have to this point makes us think that she's thinking of breaking up with Jake, but she's still going on this ride. That's the big misdirect, right? Mm -hmm. So they get in there having the family dinner and things are very strange. And then we get into, like you said, the surreal filmmaking where there's some strange cuts there's some strange things happening. She sees a picture on the wall. She thinks it's her, but then it turns out it's Jake as a child. There's a family dog that you never can make it the face of because he's always shaking. And you think like, oh, okay, we're getting into some like metaphorical filmmaking here or something. You know, the parents serve this huge meal and they don't actually eat anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the awkward, you know, dinner talk. And then, you know, it, it starts snowing and the couple thinks they need to go home. And then we start to see the parents at different points in their lives. So suddenly the mother's really old, then the father's really old, then the mother's really young. And it's definitely like just, just a nightmare on film. Like what a perfectly filmed version of a nightmare. Ah, just the, the atmosphere, the uncomfortableness, so good. <laughs> yeah, perfectly filmed version of like people re-experiencing their lives too. Either the kid reflecting on his parents' lives or the parents' lives kind of flashing in front of their own eyes. That part, I I, I felt the most Lynchian to me. So I felt like at least yeah. at that part, I had an anchor for it, you know? Well, I mean, stick with that anchor. That's this whole movie. This whole movie is self-reflection. Uh, so you did get it. You just need to apply it. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they, so they leave the house and it was a weird experience. And then they, they're driving in the snow and it's just it's kind of scary. 
and they have these weird conversations about old movies and it gets kind of annoying the first time you see it because you feel like Charlie Kaufman's writing an essay. Uh, what was the yeah. movie they were talking about? Yeah, it, it's it's almost annoying dialogue. Yeah, um, between the two of them, and uh, yeah, they decide to stop at an ice cream stand that's open in the middle of the winter past midnight, and it's just that's very lynchy and very surreal when they go to the ice cream place. Mm-hmm. And everything's uncomfortable there. They buy these big milkshakes. They don't drink them. And um, the man, Jesse, or Jake, sorry. Jake is uh, uncomfortable having these milkshakes as they're melting in the car. So he wants to find a garbage. So he drives to uh, his old high school, which is, again, just in the middle of nowhere. And it's such a like, frightening feeling that <laughs> driving through these country roads in nothing but snow we don't really see where they're driving we just see the road covered in snow and they end up at this high school and it's huge this is very cole's note but you know um so jake goes into the high school and and you know lucy's sitting in the car wondering where he is she eventually goes to follow him in there and runs into um the janitor and this is a janitor that we've been getting little clips of throughout the movie just silently he's making breakfast he's watching tv just some guy we're not really sure what his significance is throughout these tiny clips but she meets the janitor and and it's a very strange conversation um and then the movie breaks out into a ballet interpretive dance we can extend a dance sequence and our characters disappear and suddenly the janitor is the focus of the movie and uh, he's having a hard time, obviously, with his life. And he goes into his car and has a bit of a breakdown and starts dreaming of cartoons and a cartoon pig. And uh, strips his clothes off, walks into the high school. And we cut to a scene where everyone's in a gym on the set of Oklahoma wearing theatrical makeup. <laughs> congratulating jake on his life well lived as he sings a tune about loneliness yeah and uh i guess and then it's it's implied that the janitor did not leave the school he probably died and we as an audience are left thinking oh he was thinking of ending things what does that have to do with this movie (laughs) (laughs) well they were it does tie together like there's a mention in the car ride about the film Oklahoma and yeah and uh the Jesse Plemons character starts singing about it yes and there's uh references to the that throughout um you know there is the shots of the janitor and there's that wonderful sequence where the janitor is sitting and watching a movie which is essentially (laughs) the characters in this movie their lives kind of playing out on the screen uh (laughs) directed a fake movie direct fake directed by robert zemeckis too which i had to pause which is hilarious i I don't know why i laughed so hard at that it's not even a great joke but it (laughs) It just fits right um so so yeah i mean there's this whole interpretation of the film that essentially this is this janitor reflecting on his life through this series of fractured moments, maybe when he's having his breakdown or stroke or whatever he's having in the car. And he's, you know, kind of semi misremembering 
these events that happened in his life and uh, the girl that's with him is, you know, represents multiple people who he has dated because there's this really interesting moment where her face flashes onto another woman's face when they're in the car. Yeah. The yep. camera turns over and it's a different woman's face and everything. That's the character from the movie. Which is the, the character Robert, from the yeah. movie. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then there's the the women at the uh, ice cream place. And there's the one woman with a big rash on her arm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she there's some sort of symbolism to that. And then all these people are at the end of the film wearing old age, fake, very fakey looking old age makeup. Yeah. Uh, so the, it, it's this whole, uh, this, there's theoretically this whole explanation that this is, you know, a distorted vision of this man's life as he's seeing it himself. Um, so saying all that, I think I get some of the themes of it. Yeah. But, you know, there's a but coming. Did we have to follow all this to get there? Did we have to, uh, this artistic, I realize this is kind of in a way, uh, a, a, an invalid criticism because I'm criticizing the artist for making his own decisions. <laughs> but wow, we go a long ways to kind of come to something that's um, deliberately off-putting. Right, right. Um, it should be noted, of course, that Charlie Kaufman directed and wrote the screenplay for this, but it is based on a book. Yeah. Right? So these are not um, entirely original ideas. Uh, a lot of them are, but, you know, this does have, <laughs> you know, there is a book that you can read that might be clearer. I don't know. Um, but I think, you know, your interpretation, or at least the, the theory, I think is correct. But I, I sort of, I sort of um, watched the movie and thought of that theory. Okay, he's reflecting on his life. These are events, you know, oh, his relationship with this woman that didn't work out. And it kind of left me um, really dissatisfied because I thought if they're going to make the movie about this janitor, who we figure out is Jake, the character, um, why is the girl Lucy, her name keeps changing throughout the movie because it's really, why does Lucy have the monologue? Why is she our point of view character? Mm-hmm. You know, like it feels like a slap in the face to be like, here's our point of view character, and she's imaginary. You know, it's sort of like, you know, if if this is his imagination, why are we hearing the voice of his imaginary character? <laughs> right? It doesn't feel right. Um okay. And she certainly seems to have this complex inner life. She's telling her poetry. Yeah, she's which, a very you know, real clearly character. wasn't coming out of this janitor's head because he just doesn't seem to have that same kind of imagination. Right. So I think the mistake lies in assuming that Lucy represents um, at least mostly a romantic interest. She does in a very small sense. I think she's based on someone that Jake must have had an interaction with at some point of his life. Uh, But I think Lucy is more importantly the representation of sort of who Jake wanted to be. I think Lucy is like uh, young Jake because there isn't a big romance element to this film. Uh, It's not like about these characters falling in love so much as it is about these characters analyzing each other. Mm-hmm. You know, they're constantly having conversations. I mean, we figure out that Lucy's name is Lucy because Jake mentions this poem that's called Lucy, and it's about the ideal woman. 
And then she goes, oh, just like me, that's my name. And he goes, oh, yeah, well, because you're the ideal woman. You know, and the first time you watch this, you think that's some awkward couple talk. But if you apply that Jesse, or sorry, if Lucy, <laughs> or both the lead actors are named Jesse, that's a little confusing. Yeah. Um, but if you apply that Lucy is basically like what Jake wanted to be, sort of young Jake's um, fulfilled life, you know, all of his potential fulfilled, then you think like, okay, right out of the gates, Jake is saying, you are the ideal person. It, it, it's so like, it's almost a slap in the face being like, what does Lucy represent? Jake's ideal person, right? Not, not romantic interest so much, maybe in appearance, but we learned kind of that Jake hasn't really had any romantic experiences in his life. That's why he's applying everything to maybe this girl he saw once and maybe this girl he sees in a movie and that's it. Sure, because the mom says in the when they're eating, oh, he's he's a lonely kid. He never really had a lot of friends. Right. And I mean, they hammer home through it, all the dialogue, all the, the parents say it. Lucy says it. Jake says it. You know, he's constantly um, talking about how smart he is, how smart he was, how he knows things. But we never get an idea of what Jake does. We never get an idea of what he's accomplished. He just kind of throws out facts and says smart things and has a, a very low patience for people that get things wrong. So I think Lucy is... And he drives a shitty bird. car, too. Shitty yeah, old he car. <laughs> He's got to put chains on, right? So Lucy is definitely, like, the idealized version of what Jake wanted to be. Because, I mean, there's that whole scene where she goes into the basement, and she finds the paintings, and it's like, oh, she had just explained to the parents that she was a painter, and that she had painted these things. And then we find out that oh, when Jake was a kid, those were his paintings. And his parents just never understood, right? Mm -hmm. His painting went nowhere. But Lucy, she's a, she's a great painter, right? And she's a, I can't remember, she a scientist or a psychologist? She's a physicist. Physicist, okay. I, at least most of the time she's a physicist. Most of the, yeah, right. most of the time she's named, she's not named Amy or whatever. Right. But see, she's a physicist. She's a poet. She's a painter. Yeah. And I think Jake in this movie represents um, basically the old janitor and what his life has become. And so it's Jake looking at himself saying, this is who I wanted to be. And this is who I am. And he's analyzing himself through these conversations, through these events. He's analyzing his relationship with his parents. He's analyzing his fears. He's analyzing his loves. He's analyzing everything because it's Lucy saying like, you know, oh, I wrote this great poem, you know, and that's Jake being like, oh, I could have written that great poem, but instead I'm just a cranky old man that remembers poetry, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, in this kind of distorted way. So you're saying Lucy is effectively the opposite of uh, Clementine, the Kate Winslet character in Eternal Sunshine. <laughs> because she many times says i'm not a i'm not a dream i'm not a fake person i am who i am treat me as who i am and right. here's lucy whose character is the opposite she's deliberately unreal yeah i mean i mean it's so it's so tempting to go back to this movie and say okay okay so i know that jake becomes the janitor so then you watch this movie and try to analyze the relationship between lucy and jake <laughs> 
But when you realize that Lucy is actually Jake, more Jake than Jake, you know, it, she's, it, 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 she's the Jake who Jake aspires to be is what you're saying. Who he did aspire to be. Did right? aspire I think, to be. Yeah, uh-huh. because it's his thinking of ending things is, and again, they, they hammer this home where it's like, it's a thought that's been permeating for a long time, right? This is a guy who's thinking like, my life has been absolutely pointless. I have accomplished nothing. My potential has gone down the drain. I have no friends. I have no family. I'm just an old, sad man. Should I kill myself? So this is him thinking about killing himself, thinking like, this is this is who I could have been. This is who I wanted to be. This is all of my potential as a person. Is that the person that I became? You know, can I can I reconcile the person I wanted to be with the person that I am now? I think that's the thesis. <laughs> Tim, him coming to grips with his, with the, all the things he didn't accomplish in life and feeling yeah. this deep regret. And so when he goes to get the Nobel, when he gets his Nobel Prize at the end, uh, Clemens, Clemens, yeah. excuse me. Clemens, yes. <laughs> uh, that's him like saying, I wish I, I could have been so much. I could have done so much in my life. And here I did nothing. Yeah, I mean, that's like, I, I mean, we can assume that's the janitor dying and, and thinking about like, yeah, look, he's on stage. Everyone in his life is proud of him. He's accomplished so much. He's so talented. Everyone recognizes it. He's happy. His parents are alive. You know, mm-hmm. like, it, it's just his perfect fantasy. Is like, all, oh. the peop- all the people from his life are there to cheer cheer him on and give yeah. him congratulations. And then he, yeah. Um, okay, so I got, let me ask this. In the, let me ask my question in the in a Kaufman-esque way, I guess. <laughs> sure. So you've seen Adaptation. Of course. Favorite. My favorite. Yes. That's your favorite of his? I think. <laughs> okay. Well, we can get to that in a minute, too, because uh, um, so, you know, Adaptation, of course, has uh, Nick Cage and Nick Cage, right? And he's, right. He's the he's Charlie and his he's also his brother. And yeah. um, he basically this is uh, a lot of the film is about the struggle between Charlie trying to wanting to do an avant garde creation and his brother mm-hmm. trying to follow these kind of standard three act structure. Right. And uh so yeah, watching adaptation and seeing seeing Kaufman struggle with this and then watching I'm thinking of ending things shows that uh you know the uh Charlie version of Charlie in adaptation, the pretentious <laughs> yeah. version of him has really taken charge here all of a sudden. And oh, yeah. um I have to say I missed even the the version of Charlie that did Schenectady, New York, which gave us kind of a through line for the character in a in a more sequential way, but gave us a lot of oddness on the side. See, uh, Key, New York, never. I I like the movie. I found it more frustrating than this one. This one felt like a puzzle I could unwrap. Yeah, and I tell you, watch it again. You'll unwrap it, and it'll hit you like a brick. Ah. Oh. But Synecdoche, New York, I watched it. I thought, is this meant to be unwrapped? You know, this is this is a puzzle that it might just be a pretty painting. It might just mean a lot of things, you know? Oh, well, that's interesting. So you felt like Synecdoche in, in his own way was more obscure. Oh, yeah, yeah. I Because I felt like with this movie, 
um, when the surreal elements came in, you thought, okay, this will make sense, or at least I can figure out why these surreal elements are here, or, you know, we will come back to reality at some point. And we mm-hmm. do. With Synecdoche, New York, I felt like there was a lot you had to buy into, um, a lot that was like the magical realism sort of aspects that okay. I couldn't buy into, and therefore... I, I kind of had a problem with watching the whole movie, you know? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So you felt like, uh, because I'm thinking many things was so surreal, you yeah. were able to buy into the surrealism, whereas Connectedy was too kind of based in reality for you to buy the surreal <laughs> elements to it. Huh. Yeah. Yep, so I think yep. I had the opposite reaction. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I haven't seen Synergy in like I don't know ten years or it's been a long time, so okay. I, I can't I can't speak for that one. But I do remember being baffled and disappointed, in a sense, much like you were with with thinking of ending things. Um, so maybe I need to go back and apply some theories and see if it blocked. <laughs> I mean, it helps that I've binged Kaufman movies over the last few days, and I've watched seven yeah. of them, seven <laughs> out of the eight. Um, literally in the last uh, week. Oh my! So these are all quite fresh in my mind. Um, yeah, because um, what ties that movie together it, for me is the Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. Oh, yeah. And okay, it's no secret that Philip Seymour Hoffman is one of the great actors, was one of the great actors, just like it's no secret that Charlie Kaufman makes crazy movies. Uh, but I felt like the, like the, 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 Part of that performance just felt more more powerful to me than the performance by Jesse Plemons in ending things. <laughs> and I think it was probably by design because Plemons is not asked to, to kind of carry all the sadness on his back. Oh my I don't know. I don't know. I thought I thought Plemons was just like I don't know. I, I can't I can't tell you a movie that I thought was better acted than this one. Wow, Tony she... Collette and David Thewlis as the parents, and again they're put in a surreal situation, and they're they're saying lines that sound normal in strange contexts, and it's so weird. And there's four actors in a room, and I swear they're just out acting each other. It's just ah, they are, they are. The the acting in this film is wonderful. We haven't really talked much about Jesse Buckley either, but uh, you know, as this character who really has no such an interesting character to play right because who is she she's really not anything at least according to your theory right (laughs) she's literally nobody yeah but she's asked to kind of give this nobody life and it's not her life it's her it's the life of that someone is imbued in her yeah yeah right i mean she's a fake thing and she's not like i don't know the computer voice and spike jones is her or something (laughs) <laughs> right right uh which you know I, i'm making that analogy because of, of jones and his his uh intimate involvement with coffin's films uh she is she is somehow both not a person and a person at the same time hey i mean that's what you think the first time you watch it again and she's just jake i tell you she's just jake <laughs> they try to out pretentious each other throughout the whole movie and you realize that's just him being like well, I used to think this about things, and now I think this about that thing. And I'm kind of mad at my younger self for thinking that way. Uh, I'm older and wiser, and 
you know what? Maybe I'm grumpier and maybe I don't like myself. <laughs> uh-huh. So you're saying also that uh, one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking about how she's a, another side of the same personality is how uh, the girl, I'll just call her the girl. Yeah. Um, they have the, she has these long periods of silences where oh, they yeah. are, where, um, where she and, and uh, Jake are kind of alienated from each other, where they're kind of yeah. sitting in the car and they're kind of looking past each other. Um, which, um, and you're saying this, a lot of that is, may come from the fact that he does feel kind of alienated from himself at a younger age. He feels alienated from his thoughts and his approaches and his love of poetry that have kind of dissipated over his lifetime. Yeah, I mean, he's just thinking, would uh, the young me, would would the fulfilled version of me approve of the person I've become, right? That's that's where it's like they're in a relationship. And again, there's like one kiss in the whole movie and it's barely there and then it mm -hmm. leads to disaster anyway. So it, I don't think it's it's anything to do with romance so much. It's, it's all about him saying like, I'm looking in a mirror, you know? Does the deep down me approve of the me on the surface? Could you empathize with Jake's character? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely empathize. Uh, you know, I feel, <clears throat> I mean, we can get into it more when we talk about confessions of a dangerous mind, but I feel kind of scared for Charlie Kaufman because, <laughs> you know, the guy is a brilliant original mind. He directs, he writes, but he's kind of um, keeps harping on this theme of the life unfulfilled. <laughs> like again and again and again <laughs> and um yeah i i don't want to skip too far ahead but the very last lines of confessions of a dangerous mind the very last lines in the movie the character says i created a new game it's called the old game three guys sit in a room with a revolver and look back on their life and uh think about what they've accomplished the one that doesn't blow his brains out is the winner he wins a refrigerator and it's like <laughs> oh oh, wow, oh yeah you took that line and went and made a movie about it. <laughs> uh, I have to admit, Confessions was my least has been my least favorite of all the Kaufman movies. Rightfully so. And I think it's yeah, we we'll get into why. It's not necessarily because of what Kaufman created. I think it's because of what George Clooney and the other folks involved with it kind of took right. from that film. Right. Should we skip ahead to that one? I mean, have, has your brain wrapped around thinking of ending things? Like, how else do we describe that it's a, a confusing masterpiece that you need to look at multiple times? Yeah, I think that's what well, you're getting at. You know, I only watched it once. Of I course. usually try to watch movies more than once for this show, but I, I just uh, only got a chance to watch it once because I wanted the, the broad range of Charlie and not the intimate range of Charlie. All I right. gotta say, um, compared to something like Eternal Sunshine, yeah they're like night and day really i find them very similar because i think eternal sunshine is ultimately an optimistic film about at least preserving your memories and being able to uh grow and change based on the things you've experienced and it's all about uh continuing to fight for relationships even when you've over and over wanted to extinguish relationships yeah I mean, the uh you know, the relationship between uh, Joel and Clementine, you know, 
has failed over and over, but they continually are trying to get together, continually trying to connect to each other. And I felt it's, it's such an optimism about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, there's definitely the, uh, the opposite. <laughs> it's opposite in that term. They're very similar in themes. But yes, it is the optimist version of this movie. <laughs> um, and it's a good transition into uh, discussing Dangerous Mind because, yeah, it's interesting. Dangerous Mind and Spotless Mind, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Because... He's a cerebral guy. <laughs> Literally, right? Yeah. Because, um, you know, obviously the, this man's career can kind of be defined by two phases. There's maybe what I'd call the fun surrealist phase, which would be adaptation Malkovich and Dangerous Mind to a lesser extent. And, wow, and, I mean, it's um, still pretty surreal. Well, they're all surreal, right? And Spotless yeah. Mind, where he's yeah. taking these surreal elements, kind of throwing a, there's always this feeling of being everything being thrown into a blender. Yeah, you never yeah. quite know what's going to happen, right? I mean, when I yeah. first saw Malkovich, which is, you know, my gateway film into him, I just kind of yeah. sat there like slack jawed. What the hell is going to happen next? What yeah. is going yeah. to happen next, right? And then you go back and you rewatch it, and everything is like clockwork right like yep. the relationship between keener and diaz for example in that film is just so perfectly spelled out <laughs> yeah but like you know when you get to the seven and a half floor it's like what the fuck right <laughs> same thing with adaptation right i mean when mm -hmm. you have the two uh the two nick cages there the two the two charlies there like you're like what am i seeing what's happening here what and he just throws everything together in these kind of very confusing scenes same thing in spotless mind right it's all intercut and you, you have you have this kind of teaser opening on the frozen mm -hmm. beach and why are these people what why is jim carrey acting so strange around kate winslet and what's happening here right you're thrown into this kind of profound kind of confusion mm -hmm. um, and then um and that's really what like it's so there's a fun element to that oh yeah it's all about the misdirect right it's all about the this is a normal movie you know what's going on and then <laughs> no you don't <laughs> yeah right and, and and by the time he's created the second half of his his career with synecdoche i always have trouble saying that and uh, anomalisa which we haven't oh, yeah. talked about at all and I then think ending things, he gets uh much more into uh this immersive realm what were we going to say yeah. about i think anomalisa is that yeah anomalisa yeah i think that's his most normal movie the one that uh is stop motion animated that that is the most straightforward normal thing he's he's made since i don't know an episode of get a life <laughs> <laughs> i think you're right about that yeah yeah it's a good one too but it doesn't stick with me like the others do well i found it to be just a, just a very entertaining interesting film that actually explores a, a, an element of human behavior you almost never see on film which is yeah this, yeah you know he's he it's kind of um what's the word atomy where you this kind of profound dissatisfaction with your life <laughs> oh no another person dissatisfied with their life <laughs> well yeah right another middle <laughs> middle class middle-aged man who's yep. uh unhappy with their life oh please let me see another movie about this oh, the word isn't enough <laughs> enemy i can't remember what the exact word is anyway um yeah let's, let's talk about dangerous <laughs> mind because um yeah 
so sometimes you listen to an album and you'll say, wow, this is a great album, but it's really produced in a way that takes away the qualities that make it excellent. The guitars may be mixed too low or the drums may be too high or um, it just may have a sound or something. And Confessions is like a muted version. uh, You wonder why they're... Yeah. Keep going. Sorry, I think we're cutting out again. Oh, um, and so um, I think Dangerous Mind is that that Kaufman movie. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, if you read anything about the movie, you know that Charlie Kaufman was very dissatisfied with George Clooney's direction and the production and the final product. And um, I think it is a great testament because I love this movie, but I also saw it like, I don't know, I guess I was 12 when it came out in theaters <laughs> and I got to see it in theaters and it blew my mind. And I think it's a great testament to like, there must have been so much in that Kaufman script that even when you mangle it, so to speak, it comes out as a really cool product. <laughs> you know, like there's still so much to love in it that uh, there's nothing I really dislike about the movie. It just doesn't, you can tell that it, it's sort of a, a mainstream version of this guy's mad vision. Yeah, and to be fair, like, is the first movie George Clooney directed, it's getting yeah. his feet under him. You know, and sometimes movies just don't come out edited the way that they had planned it to be, right? Yeah. And there's still uh, but, some amazing scenes in this film. Yeah, I don't think there's anything, like, wrong with it. That's the thing. I think it is a good movie. It only pales in comparison when you watch uh, six other Charlie Kaufman movies. It's got a playfulness and a, uh, a playfulness contrasted with a depth that um, is really entertaining. And yeah. I actually think like the relationship between uh, between the Rockwell character and the Barrymore character is one of the more sophisticated relationships in the, of a couple I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think I think the concept of this movie is one of the more interesting concepts. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why I'm steering away from the concept. Yeah, go ahead with yeah. that. I mean, that's that's what drew me to it as a twelve year old. This is this is the perhaps fictional, perhaps real um, biography of Chuck Barris, the creator of the dating game, the newlywed game, the Gong Show. He was just a television madman. And uh, he claimed to also work for the CIA during the Cold War. So this is his adventures. You know, maybe the guy on the gong show was also a hitman. (laughs) Uh, And I just, I loved the gong show as a kid. I still do. I think it's just like, I don't like game shows really, but there is such a like crazy energy for that time and place. And Chuck Barris is such a crazy character. Um, I don't know if Sam Rockwell was the right person to play him, but he does play a very interesting character on screen. And it's just like, yeah, what like what a good idea for a movie. What a good person to write the movie. And then George Clooney, I think, did a fine job. I just don't think he could possibly live up to Spike Jones or Michelle Gondry. That's a fair point, right? Clooney's going to be his own director and he wants to bring a slightly more mainstream approach yeah. to it too but there are sequences in it that are just so 
like compelling and interesting. Oh yeah. The, the scenes where they're either chasing through East Berlin, uh, it's like so evocative and like really grabs you. And it's so in, intriguing. I, I like the scene where, where um, basically uh, he's, he's poisoning the Julia Roberts character. Of course. Yeah. Which had me on the edge of my seat for the, for a little while there. Cause like, what yeah. the hell is happening here? Right. Yeah. And, and um, I liked how people came on, the real people came on in bits and pieces to talk about their experiences with Barris too. I thought that was, that gave it kind of a little bit of ver- verisimilitude that kind of added to, to the. Uh, I think they need a little more of that. I think it would have been nice to have just a sprinkle more. Well, that's it. Yeah. And that, that's kind of a great point because I think what we're saying is we want just a little bit more of all these different elements that made this movie so wonderful. Yep. Yeah, a little I more of the surrealism, a little more of the like confusion inside his head. You can imagine Kaufman writing the script where you're seeing maybe a chase in in uh, Helsinki, and then it cuts yeah. to his real life, and then back to the chase, and then back to his real life, and you're like never quite clear on what's happening. I mean, Clooney talks about that a little bit in the scene where his character is sitting on sitting at Barris's pool, and they're having a conversation. Yeah. There's the blood beneath him and stuff, and you're not yeah. sure if this is really happening or or um, his imagination. We need more of that. There, I mean, that's just it. There's definitely a dose of surrealism in here, right? I love the scene where he's he's uh, freaking out on the gong show and he thinks one of the stagehands is going to assassinate him. Mm-hmm. And he's like just hallucinating all these things, standing there saying like, come on, come on, get me. And everyone's just watching him like <laughs> have a meltdown, right? An extremely well-made scene, right? And you got to wonder if the whole movie was made that way, if it would. I mean, <laughs> there there is so many creative elements still in the movie, though. Um, like what? Okay, what did you think about the color grading? For yeah, some of right. The and you, the contrast in the way he uses color yeah. in this film is so intriguing, right? Because the the TV studios are so bright, and then uh, the in the backgrounds, especially in the in the scenes where the dating game is getting popular, and you see his crew there, and they're mm-hmm. all dressed in these kind of very colorful '60s clothes, right? Yep. And then the the CIA scenes are all shot in this kind of Jean Le Carré kind of muted color palette. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the command of, the command of the palette is just wonderful. It, it really feels like that piece of it, especially, feels very modern. Yeah, I feel like I feel like you know George Clooney definitely. For a 20 year old film, he's using, you know, color in a a very, very 2022 sort of way. Yeah, you got to think like George Clooney definitely saw and respected Charlie Kaufman 